Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of our thoughts of matters of the moment in and around the hotel and investment space. Uh, with me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And this week we are starting with thoughts of what's going to happen next in the accommodation marketplace. Uh, we've just had a couple of uh, reports into us um, looking at what's the likely kind of path for the next year or so in terms of uh, leisure spending, business travel spending and uh, a survey undertaken by Accor looking at what's going to happen in the uh, the, the real life face-to-face meetings space um, all of which uh, looks like uh, it's going to be quite good news for hotels but of course into this uh, comes the upset in the Middle East and um, all around Israel and uh, what impact is that going to have on business travel on leisure travel um, the immediate answer is obviously some cancellations but the question then is what happens in the kind of medium to longer term what impact will it have will it be just uh, national regional or will it more substantially damage uh, the prospects of uh, the hospitality business in uh, the the whole region and neighboring countries um, so all suddenly you know we go from reading a report that, that speaks of us the sunny uplands and uh, an exciting 2024 and then we're brought back down to the ground by a, uh, a a spat in uh, in and around Israel, and what impact is that going to have? A bit more than a spat, but we'll come on to that in a moment. I think the um, the quote that sprang to my mind um, when I was listening to you just then, Chris, was uh, um, what Harold Macmillan, the British <laughs> former British Prime Minister, said: "Events, my dear boy, events." Mm. When, when he was asked um, what the most troubling problem about being a Prime Minister was, um, and indeed this, I mean, th- these awful, evil terror attacks and the ongoing uh, problems um, that we're going to see now as a result, um, I, I think clearly falls into the th- sort of thing that would have um, worried Harold Macmillan back in the day um but um i i I guess we're just going to focus on on the the piece as it impacts the travel tourism and hospitality sector um and i guess the the good news is that what historically we have seen whenever we've had these kind of uh events um travel and tourism demand is remarkably resilient um sometimes it, it gets mixed in with you know what's going on in the overall sort of economy so um certainly 9-11 was probably the biggest um sort of exogenous shock if you like to the travel and tourism economy um and but even there a lot of the impact of that got mixed up with the recession caused by the dot-com bust um and and so you know yes there clearly was a a huge bit like covid but well not quite as bad as covid Mm -hmm. the covid lockdowns but um you know that we had this this external thing holding back um travel and tourism um this is not that um in the same way um and it, of course the great unknown is how widely this spreads i mean right now clearly you know what's going on in israel that's you know devastated um 
um, the travel and tourism demand in Israel itself. And uh, Reuters said this week that uh, you know uh, Israel Hotel, uh, Israel Hotel, the the chain of Israeli hotels was on the verge, according to the report, of temporarily closing some of its properties. IHG um, was said to have shut down a couple of hotels. Um, and you know we're likely to see a pattern like this across the hotels in Israel and in some of the adjacent countries. I think obviously Jordan is likely to be a significant uh, uh, victim um, here. Um, Egypt too. It may well impact what's you know the tourism in Egypt. The the, the big ones though are what happens in terms of the Gulf. Um, so if we look at the overall numbers here it's just perhaps worth mentioning this 16.6 um, .6 million arrivals in Saudi in 22, um, 22.7 million arrivals in the UAE. Uh, principally Dubai but uh, of the other Emirates as well. Um, Egypt had 11.6 million Israel 2.7 million, Lebanon 1.5 million and Jordan 4.3 million. So clearly the the big thing here, I mean certainly Egypt is uh, uh, you know significant but the, the really big ones are Saudi and uh, the UAE. Um, now back when we had the Arab Spring um, what we had was significant demand displacement within the the Middle East and North Africa region. So what we saw was um, um, demand coming out of Egypt, coming out of Tunisia, coming out of even Morocco. Um, but Dubai was significantly buoyed um, as the tourism demand was displaced into into Dubai um, to, to some extent. Um, so that helped boost the overall level of. Uh, uh, Dubai's um, tourism. I suspect that this time around, given the very high profile roles we see for um, Saudi Arabia and um, um, Qatar in particular in terms of what's going on here in the Middle East, I suspect we're not going to see so much of a buoyancy within um, the Gulf, but uh, um, it's certainly to be hoped that um, the demand levels don't drop off um, dramatically as much as anything that, that does become the case is because the conflict has you know horribly widened but if it's contained within within Israel and the Palestinian territories um, and we don't see sort of our you know fighting between Iran in particular which is a big worry um, but into Lebanon too um, I, I think you know the, the the overall picture from a travel and tourism perspective um, will be something along the lines of what we saw post the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine where both Ukraine and Russia went offline but the rest of the world pretty much carried on and I think we're likely to see something like that here again. Um, the key thing is in terms of the, um, the you know to understand that uh, consumers um, are not likely to revert back to buying stuff over experiences um, but the sort of main message that may come out from this is that uh, um, they might buy their experiences in different locations. Now the first half of 2020 
three was substantially uh, stillborn as far as the uh, hotel investment market was uh, concerned as uh, those who uh, would be buying were weighing up uh, what sort of price they should be paying those who were selling were going hey well hang on uh, things are going gangbusters operationally our, our business is worth far more than you think it is and um, that standoff really resulted in a very low volume of deals in the first half but we're now starting to see certainly uh, what looks like a much busier second half developing and uh, uh, the, there's been a flurry of recent deals which lead us to believe things are looking a lot brighter and the agents indeed confirm that um, and uh, leading the charge in the UK and Europe um, not least are um, Whitbread and Delata both owner operators and um, both businesses that are well backed uh, and well capitalised and they've been purchasing development sites and taking on new leases and um, uh, even Whitbread's been buying office blocks as well, unloved office blocks um, for conversion to hotels. So, um, But they haven't got it all to themselves, there's, there's other stuff going on too. And we've also seen uh, more recently what looks like quietly, ever so quietly, a portfolio of Hilton hotels in the UK being being put onto the market by their owner Vivian um, just again testing the uh, appetite for perhaps the return of some portfolio deals so um, uh, I think everyone's got the hang now of inflation is X the cost of money is Y uh, and let's see if we can't do some deals yeah it's interesting I, I went along last week to Expo Real which is the big one of the two big property sector jamborees in um, Europe so the other one being MIPIM in March um, so in Munich just as an aside mm. I haven't been to such a male environment as Expo Real in years uh, even the rugby matches I attend actually have more women in them <laughs> than Expo Real so it was just it was just it was genuinely quite shocking actually but anyway um, that aside um, the other thing that was quite shocking was just how gloomy um, the investors were. We might be having a moan about deal flow in, in, in the hotel sector, but compared to the wider real estate market, oh my goodness, it was kind of summed up. I went to a presentation, CBRE um, gave a presentation um, talking about you know what's happening in terms of uh, values, etc., and the, the head of capital markets at CBRE for EMEA, Chris Brett, um, said, well, it's a cliche which um, if a lot of the listeners um, will have heard, um, um, if, if they're connected to the property sector, but it's stay alive till 25. Was, <laughs> was, uh, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're, we've got that long to hang on. Is, and the other suggestion was keep the foot in the door in 24. <laughs> Love this kind of stuff. Um, but the, the reality is that um, I, I think there is significant turmoil in those traditional um office um industrial and uh, retail um, um asset classes within commercial real estate um certainly retail was already a problem but uh, um office has got some you know uh, secular problems i'm um, actually we delve into those in another story in this week's issue we're not going to talk about on the podcast but this is to do with the uh, working from home fallout um that's certainly given secular problems now to the office sector mm retail's had it for some time given what's going on in the uh online um 
market and uh, even uh, logistics actually which ironically a beneficiary of the turmoil in retail has, has benefited uh, um, logistics but the the pricing piece with uh, logistics and it um, has been the warehouses essentially for all of the stuff we've been buying online um, that's had to um, take a, um, a significant hit um, basically I think I think what happened was logistics the yields got so tight um, that they've had to correct and the, the yields having to go out has inevitably impacted the pricing there now the message from CBRE was um, logistics we're probably done with our repricing office probably has a bit further to go and they didn't really have a great deal to say about retail probably because it's been such a mm. difficult market for some time um but um comparatively um you know the hotel sector looks you know very nice indeed so um the numbers um, in terms of repricing CBRE quoted was office shields going up 140 bips, logistics up 150 bips, um, more than office you'll note, um, uh, but that I think that market has repriced rapidly, um, but hotels are up just 70 bips, which indicates the repricing in hotels has been less significant than those other sectors which is kind of good news and just shows the resilience there is in hotels but also i think reflects the fact that uh, hotels were at high yields to begin with as we went into this um this period of rate tightening so i think there was a we had a bit more wriggle room and we've actually come out of it looking a much more attractive um um destination for investors money um compared to those other sectors not the least of which of course is this thing we've been talking about operational real estate getting exposure to the op operational piece as well as just simply looking at it from a a, a straight investment piece and I, I think that that is something which we will um get into um in terms of what we're about to talk about the white label thing so i'll let you talk about that okay first. fine well let's just get on to number three and uh, we're talking about yeah white label operators uh, the dedicated uh, hotel management companies um which again seem to be um accelerating their pace of of growth as the market moves um, around them and we've, I've been speaking to a couple of them this week um, particularly Ambridge in uh, EMEA and also Valor Hospitality and both of them are, are growing nicely and expanding their horizons and uh, Ambridge uh, which at the beginning of the year set up a little team in Spain has signed its first um, Spanish property and David Anderson was very pleased. So was was very happy to tell me uh, that um, you know it's it's quite a major um, asset on the Costa Blanca they've signed up to operate it's uh, a 300 room hotel it's got substantial food and beverage operations and it's got a, a sort of side by side theme park and convention center which he tells me is quite a, a good spot for hosting um, vehicle launches apparently so um, uh, yeah a, a good uh, first flag in the ground in Spain for for Ambridge um, not the only thing they've signed this year as they continue to grow um, and uh, I've also had a chat with them um, with the folks at Valor who I've uh, been well they've been signing things up left right and centre um, including some quite exciting things in uh, Oman in Pakistan uh, expanding their business in South Africa as well as uh, signing uh, things back in good old-fashioned uh, UK as well um, but the the pair of them are pretty much 
said similar things in that you know we're now in a world where um owners are looking to be more interactive with their properties they're looking to get a, a, a much more focus on on getting a better return from them and if they can hire a fully professional management outfit that can run the building for them tell them week by week day by day what's going on and uh, how they're kind of adjusting to moves in the market then that's a much better place to be than the old-fashioned way of just uh, uh, sitting there collecting the rent and hoping that things are all just going fine so um, uh, exciting times for um, the the white label operators yeah I, I'm just trying to think back the last time we ever featured a hotel deal in Pakistan it's not a country no. that's at the, the top of uh, most people's minds I'd guess but uh, um, going on to the the meat of the matter in terms of this story um, third-party management companies really started to get some resonance in Europe sort of a decade or so ago um, and obviously something that comes out of the the bricks brawn and brain split the notion of having property of operations and brands um, with the brawn bit the operations bit the third party manager coming out of the US um, as you know when this started you know a, a, a few years ago uh, we looked at this and we thought well this is an interesting way that perhaps we can unlock the the dreaded lease market um, across Europe and so those markets um, like Scandinavia like Germany where leases are the only thing in town um, this maybe would be a way that uh, the global brand majors could access those markets um, because you'd have a third-party player taking on the lease um, and then uh, the, the franchise would be signed um, with the, the global hotel brand major. But um, as your piece makes clear, Chris, the third party managers aren't very keen no, on no. leases either. So, so, um, so that, that, that hope has um, turned to naught, mm. I think. Um, but I think what has changed is the attitude of the investors themselves. And I think we look back to a deal which is over a year old now, which is the Hyatt in Leeds and this is a 305 room property split between Hyatt Place and the long-stay Hyatt House brands. Um, Ambridge signed it on a turnover only lease so the great news there is from from Ambridge's perspective they don't have to capitalize up any rental commitments and this is the problem you know in terms of how accounting standards operate if you take on a lease you have all of that uh, exposure on your balance sheet which um, you know the brand majors don't want and uh, the, the third party managers don't want but if you've got a forward-thinking investor like um, Ambridge has in the case of uh, um, this property um, in in Leeds um, in terms of Aberdeen um, they're they're prepared to say well look we, we will only charge you a rent based on the turnover and uh, no fixed component um, so and, and then there's a 25-year franchise agreement with Hyatt in place I mean the thing is that Aberdeen are sophisticated enough to understand that if they've got a um, a manager in there who has signed a 25-year franchise agreement, um, that kind of binds them into a commitment to delivering something. And 
you know they are going to get a better upside from that because um, they will be able to take the full share of the upside from the hotel operations so that actually means and they said this at the time and I, I think it's probably worth quoting um, what was said in the press release back in uh, May 22 uh, by investing in this way in compelling locations with strong market dynamics and teaming up with strong reputable tenants we are able to obtain a yield that is at a significant premium to that which would be derived from a traditional leasing model and this is the key isn't it that you're going to make more money doing it this way than it in a traditional leasing model and as we clearly have seen in the retail market and now often in the um, office market too leases aren't all that you can't actually guarantee that you've got the security you think you have with a lease um, but you know some investors need that structure in the case of Aberdeen this is uh, through its uh, listed REIT structure um, that, that um, they, they have to have a lease in place and this is how this has worked for them and you know other capital German open-ended funds being the most obvious example they have to structure their deals in the same way but this is a, a way forward I think for this for a for that that great lease conundrum and finally hopefully unlocking it I don't think it's a solution everywhere but for the, the best properties in the best locations with the best partners um, this is clearly a, a great way forward. Now it's time to return to our uh, five star and no star awards of the week and this week we are awarding five stars to five hotel groups. Um, this is a, uh, a new procurement initiative uh, we don't often talk about procurement it's sort of uh, boring but important um, but uh, we find Accor, Hilton, IHG, Marriott and Radisson have all joined together with a couple of the major procurement groups and a, a sustainability rating agency to create something called the Hospitality Alliance for Responsible Procurement that's a bit of a mouthful um, but the important bit is they are all going to work together to use to develop and share and use the same set of measuring tools to measure the carbon reduction uh, process progress they make in their supply chains so hooray for all working together yeah um that's a slight cynic in me saying <laughs> that's just what we need <laughs> another way to 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 rank esg mm -hmm. performance but uh um, I'm, I'm off t um tomorrow um as we be recording this on monday night i'm off to the sustainable hospitality alliance and one of the things they rightly rail against is the the myriad different ways of measuring carbon and talking about what's going on and that does if, if there ever was an area where we need um, like some form of consolidation and maybe some um, regulation being brought in to sort of consolidate all this um, surely it's this area but uh, in the meantime it, yeah as you say Chris it's, it's good news that uh, you know that, that the industry's thinking about this and taking and action. no stars this week for Accor in the UK who've been given a telling off by the advertising watchdog um, they got caught out because uh, some TikTok videos uh, produced by a, a social media influencer um, has, uh, had, were promoting the Savoy Hotel and they were not marked 
uh, as being a promotional video and uh, that is against the rules say the ASA um, the problem that Accor came up against was they they'd made this commercial agreement with this young lady who was an influencer uh, giving her sort of some some kind of um, uh, treats or, or free stays or whatever uh, but the agreement had only covered any output she put on Instagram um, so uh, by her stepping across and putting something out on TikTok the, the normal rules had not been applied and the output had not been marked as being promotional which is what you must do if you are tweaking uh, social media output uh, in someone else's name the perils of social media it just puts me off it even more I, I hate the whole whether it's linkedin or twitter stroke x um but uh, <laughs> it only, only makes me more fearful well on that social note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>